So did it work? I'm sorry, Lilith. Elias? What? We should talk, huh? Leave me alone. Oh, what, huh? It's going to scratch me too. Oh, come on. Not now. So see. Not now. She smells anyway. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from no them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You My heart is pounding right now. Uh, yesterday, last night, we had baptism classes, and Ryan came in this morning. We like to huddle up. It's kind of like we're in the war room back there, getting ready from battle, coming out of battle, and uh, he was just sharing. There was this young lady who was there that wants to get baptized and shared her story how her mom, when she was four years old, dropped her off at the Ionia State Fair, left her there. She was sharing this testimony of what that felt like, and she was dropped off, and this trans man was the one who sort of was taking care of her and didn't really know what he was doing. And he said, then I met this woman who came, said, I don't even know I'm going to the fair but I felt like I needed to get over here, and when I saw you with him, I just knew something was wrong, and so she went up to him and said, is everything okay? Is this your daughter? And he was like, this isn't my daughter. This woman dropped her off and left her with me, and I'm not really sure what's going on, and she says, do you mind if, if I take her? 
And she says, that was the day where I was brought into her house, taken to this new family, and was adopted by that family. And God knew that little girl needed protection, and he sent someone for me that listened to my voice, listened to the voice of God, and I was rescued, and I was redeemed, and I was called by name. Not the name that you've been known by lately, or what you've become, but who you've been created to be. Only your creator knows what you are meant to mean. Amen. And I don't care what you've become. I love that picture of her walking away from Jesus and saying, leave me alone, and he just won't leave people alone. Amen. Just keeps coming for people. There's a the gentleman last night who shared his story. He said, I'm, I'm going to just share with you, I was an atheist I literally hated God. I hated God. But he has changed my life, and I, I met this girl. This is how it goes for a lot of people. <laughs> they meet a girl. They like her, and they hate God. But what happens when she loves God? Wow. And the more he got to know her, he opened the Bible and he kept reading the book of John over and over and over again. And he said, I remember at the factory one day where I went out on break time and everybody's just kind of smoking and out there just telling, you know, you know what break time's like. And I just said, Jesus, I believe in you and I want you in my life. And he's going to be baptized. Amen. See, these, these aren't just stories from millennia ago. This is happening in Ionia, it's happening here, it's happening in this room today. It moves me. It moves me that I have the pleasure and the privilege of being with you today. To be a mouthpiece, hopefully for God. To let you know that he will not leave you alone. And everyone in this room is a hot mess. It's just good to know. Sometimes you think you're alone in here and everyone dresses up. Not. Do you like what I'm wearing this morning, by the by? My wife bought me this again. She buys me things so that she stays attracted to me. And uh, so. What in the world happened? Was, I was hugging this woman and I thought when she was coming in. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you limiting, eliminating that demonic distraction this morning. You're not alone in this room. We all dress up nice, but God's no respecter of persons. He knows right what's under the hood. I don't care what you look like. We're all broken here. We're all clawing and climbing toward who Christ wants us to be. And some days are better than others. But I hope to God this place is always filled with a bunch of Mary Magdalene's. Yes. Mary, just a little bio on her life if you don't know much about her. She was the first female follower of Jesus, Amen. other than Jesus' mom. She knew what was going on right when she got pregnant and she'd never had sex. She knew the person inside of her was from the Holy Ghost. She was known to be mentally ill in her hometown of Magdala. It was about three miles from where Jesus did most of his ministry in Capernaum. I remember just being in Capernaum, and, and it's like Magdala is just right over there, you know, and Sea of Galilee's out there. It's just crazy how close everything is. You imagine it so far away. Some religious traditions believe she was a prostitute. In fact, that's how they wrote the plot of this story. She had another name, Lilith. But Jesus knew her name was Mary of Magdala. She was possessed and harassed by seven demons at once when Jesus first met her. Believe me, if a person comes into church today and they got seven demons inside of them, church is going to look a little and feel a little different. And you might not like it, but Jesus loves that stuff. He specializes in it. She wiped Jesus' feet with her tears and hair in repentance. I don't know if you read that before, but just wanted to get near him and ended up cleaning and doing a foot washing with her tears and her hair. 
She supported Jesus' ministry financially for years. She was one of four who stayed with Jesus all the way to the cross. And, and it was three women and one dude. The women are, they're stout-hearted. Don't sell women short. Jesus never did. And she was the first person to see Christ after his resurrection. Apostles didn't get there for that. In fact, in history, she's called the apostle to the apostles. She was the one that saw the risen Christ and went to go speak of the risen Christ to all these dudes that went back to their old lives. Yeah, and she was, she was a mess. Last night after the service, a guy came up that I prayed for back in January, and his marriage was in ruins, and his family was in ruins, and he hadn't been to church in forever. And he said, I just, I don't like the church. I, re- I kind of am interested in Jesus, but I don't like the church. Mm-hmm. That's pretty typical. Yeah. And last night I, I go down, and he's there, and his wife is there. And his four beautiful kids are there, right here. And he said, I wanted to let you know this week, my wife and I reconciled. And the older son, I would guess he's 11 or 12, said, my son told me a couple months ago, if mom ever gets back with you, it'll be a miracle. Wow. And he looked at his son, and he just said, right, right with me, he's like, so I guess miracles happen. I, uh, I just want our church to attract broken people because if you read the Bible, Jesus attracted right. and was attractive to broken people, messed up people, with convoluted ideas, bewitched souls, mental illness, right. generational vexations. In fact, you can't be a healthy church unless you're a messy church. Amen. You just can't. You can't. If the hospital is a place with lots of disease because it's filled with sick people, then the church is a place with lots of messiness because it's filled with broken people. And I'm not talking about dirty religion. We're not about dirty religion, but we're about messy Christianity because there is no other kind. As I got to know Mary Magdalene this week, and that's what I did. I got to know her through reading the scriptures. One verse describing her stopped me dead in my tracks and it was the verse introducing her name it's found in Luke chapter 8 says this starting in verse 2 the 12 were with Jesus that's the 12 disciples and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases and Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out Joanna the wife of Chusa the manager of Herod's household and Susanna And many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, I could speak on this passage for a month of Sundays. Because there's so much stuff in here that I didn't even know going through Bible college. I went to Baptist Bible College. And I just would have loved to know that there were other women that were involved in following Jesus. And many others, not just these three, there's many others wasn't just like men were around Jesus, the women were around him, and I really didn't know growing up that the women were the ones that were of means to support these guys that were freeloaders. (laughs) Disciples. They were about the mission of what Jesus, as the rabbi, called these disciples to do, and these women came around it. It's literally Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. We're talking people in places of power, that were against Jesus, were tithing to Jesus. We're giving to Jesus. These women were so powerful and supportive and essential. And they were cured from diseases and evil spirits. And when that happens to you, it kind of alters your life. It changes what you thought you were going to do into a trajectory that's like, whoever this man is and whatever he's doing, I'm getting behind it because I want to be near this guy. I want this to happen for others. 
If your faith, what God has done for you, has not translated, I want this for someone else, it hasn't gone deep enough quite yet. But the thing that really stood out to me, and I want to camp out on it just for a little bit, is this Mary from Magdala. She had seven demons cast out of her. Now, I'm fully aware that once you get into the demonic realm and you talk about angelology or demonology in the spiritual realm, that there's in Christianity all kinds of subcultures and subcultures of subcultures that, that interpret and translate and misinterpret and misrepresent to beat the band. And I want you to know that for me, when people become spiritual and have spiritual gifts, particularly the ecstatic gifts of tongues or prophecy or words of knowledge or healing, that a lot of times what I've noticed in those camps is a sort of spiritual elitism or a spiritual pride. And we don't want that here. We don't want that at all. You're not better than everyone because you see something or feel something or have some sort of gift that other people don't have. If you have that gift, it will be accompanied with both authority and humility. That's who I know is legit. They know what they carry, the power of it. They know where it comes from, and they, they live it out. The how they live it out is with a heart of humility. Not only a spiritual pride can often accompany that, but a spiritual certitude. And what I mean by that is they know that they know that they know this is that, and they declare it, and they name it, and they tell you what's going on in your life. And they, If you believe something's true, it, just knowing it's true in your spirit, I, I believe it's very important to be like, now I don't know this for a fact. There's a lot of mystery here. There's a lot I don't know, but I'm sensing something in my heart. Would you be open to me? coming into your life and potentially being a conduit for freedom that God wants to give you through his name, his son, his blood. That's a, a humility. If we, we've had over COVID, a lot of people transfer to our church from other churches, which is wonderful. I just want you to know this church is for messed up people. Amen. And if you're not about that, then there are a lot of other churches out there that will be a neat little country club for you, but that is not what this place is. Number two, if you're coming in here with an angle or agenda to bring some sort of contrived, manipulated, conjured up revival, and you don't think we get it, and you're mature, and you're waiting for us to get what you're praying for that God's laid on your heart, our church will abort you out so fast it's not even funny. We just are not about people with agendas and I'm coming in and I know everything. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, those who think they know do not yet know as they ought to know because love builds up but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge can puff you up but love builds up. And if you think you know, you don't know as you ought to know. That's a sweet verse. I think it's chapter two, verse chapter eight, verse two, first Corinthians. So I come to you and I want you to know I'm gonna speak on this, but man, I don't even know what I'm touching. This is unseen realm stuff. I know it's as true as as blue and as right as rain, but I cannot tell you I have the tiger by the tail of this. I just know it's real and it messes with us, and I gotta talk about it. Something occurred to me after I studied Mary's life a little bit is that Jesus casting out seven demons that were possessing Mary was the first exorcism in the whole Bible. The Old Testament and New Testament. It was surprising to me that the Old Testament doesn't have an account of this sort of deliverance activity. We know that demons and angels were real, but demons weren't even mentioned, that, that word, in the Old Testament at all. A handful of times an evil spirit would come on someone like Saul or Pharaoh, but there was never a physical encounter with a demon, let alone seven, followed by a spiritual deliverance performed by a prophet or a priest or a king. There was the witch of Endor. There were bales. There were high places that had to be torn down. There was demonic activity, but it was never named, called out, and eradicated through an exorcism. It's powerful. 
something going on for millennia, but it isn't until Jesus shows up in the first century that what was probably already always there finally surfaced and was actually addressed. I wonder how many issues in our lives are present, but we haven't really addressed them yet. Or rather, are manifesting themselves in certain ways, but we're identifying them incorrectly. We're treating the symptoms, but not the source. The effects, but not the cause. Jesus is the only one who sees us and frees us. Unlike what is common human practice, he doesn't just send us off to a boneyard outside the church or the camp or the city like the culture did in that day with people like this. He pursues us in our dysfunction and oppression and offers salvation and in time, healing and freedom. And just so you know, I'm not the kind of Christian that sees a demon everywhere I look and every surfacing occurrence. But I don't want to make the mistake of never recognizing a demonic attack anywhere. There is in this church both an obsession with the demonic realm as well as a straight-up denial. And it can be a devastating ditch on either side of the road. And we're trying to strike the balance of Jesus' perfect third way. I wonder if we run the risk sometimes, though, as Paul described in misdiagnosing like a spiritual struggle with a physical struggle. He called it, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And maybe that hasn't come to your mind as an option. Am I up against something that's seen and heard that I can see with my five senses? Or is there a sixth sense of something else going on in another realm that doesn't necessarily occur to my five senses? In Ephesians 6.12, Paul said it this way. He was trying to like raise the awareness in the church of Ephesus over something else going on more than just flesh and blood, horizontal activity. There's a vertical activity. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. This was the Matrix movie before Matrix came out. Morpheus is like, there's a red pill and there's a blue pill. Are you going to just function with the blue pill or do you want to take the red pill? There's more going on than meets the naked eye. So Paul's like, I want you to know there's a red pill, there's a blue pill. Both exist. Are you going to open your mind that it's more than flesh and blood, that it's about principalities and powers in the spiritual realm of the unseen world of darkness and light contending over your soul day and night? Hmm. flesh and blood of course those things have to be addressed and dealt with at our church we have a, a safety team and a security team that are looking for flesh and blood issues like if somebody comes in and they seem like they have nefarious intentions or something going on. We have guys and gals around here that just are looking at the flesh and blood activity to squash anything that might occur that could be nefarious or dangerous for our children, for our church. I like that. That if somebody came to rush the stage, that they would get tackled (laughs) and put in a DDT and WWF'd. You know, that there's something here to protect us from flesh and blood. There's safety teams. If somebody has a heart attack or a stroke, there's people here that'll dress the flesh and blood. But did you know, we also have safety and security teams in the spiritual realm. I walked by last night and today, a circle of people praying together against the darkness, praying for our community, praying for your seat, for your soul, for your family, for our world, praying for the darkness to be pushed back and for the blood of Christ to bring cleansing to this place so that's free of distraction and you can concentrate on what God wants to say. They're contending with more than flesh and blood. And it's not just that team, it's freedom ministry teams and 13th tribe and recovery teams are coming in and trying to help people with the stuff that goes beyond flesh and blood. With that in mind, just some questions I have for you to possibly reframe your perceived reality of your suffering or your struggle or your sin or your sickness. Is it possible that your heart has been under demonic assault lately? Is it believable that your relationships are being targeted by the enemy? Yeah. 
Do you think you're fighting against more than just your perceived opponent or what you believe is the resistance or the opponent of your life? Or is there more opposition than that one opponent? Do you think your fatigue could be caused by more than seen factors? What if that recent temptation is accompanied by demonic purposes? You ever wondered if your nightmares of late are spawned by evil spirits? Are some of your emotions influenced by the enemy right now? Could your ambitions even be driven by dark powers in the spiritual realms? You ever wonder what is Putin and what is Satan in our world? What is culture and what is cultic in America? What are political powers and what are principalities and powers? Who's to say your marriage right now isn't under spiritual attack? That it isn't her and it isn't him. That maybe there's someone else in the room while you're having a fight and it's not mano a mano. Maybe there's a third presence there that has a purpose. And he's at work in your home. Would you like to get that out of your house? Or do you just want to live with that the rest of your life? I guess that's part of, you know, being in a broken world and depraved planet. You don't have to live that way anymore. You can have the power to say, get out of my house. In the name of Jesus, not because of my name. There's like back in Acts, there were the seven sons of Siva, and they thought, they saw Paul do it, and they just were like, yeah, we're casting out demons. And the demons literally said, we know Paul, and we know Jesus, but who are you? Now, if a demon responds to you that way, you're screwed. You're screwed, man. And literally, the demons beat up those seven sons of Siva and sent them away naked and bleeding, it says in the text. Just running down Main Street, naked and bleeding. Yet they didn't know their name because they didn't know Jesus' name. And Jesus' name is the only name you can come against the, the demonic realm with. I don't care how much scripture you know and how much you think you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You best evoke the blood and name and power of Jesus Christ. Who's to know whether your kids aren't up against a dark force? People that don't pray for their kids before bed, I don't think they really know what's going on over their kid all night long. And I'm not trying to scare you. I just want you to know it's just precious time to be praying over your kids and throughout your household and always being aware. In fact, it says in the New Testament, we aren't unaware of the schemes of the devil. He would love you to keep keep you distracted and unaware. We're not unaware. And so with our kids, we pray over them. We pray protection and provision, peace and power into our kids. Because somebody wants your kids. Wants to hijack them and steal their souls and kill their souls and destroy their souls over my dead body in my home. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. I remember uh, moving here, so excited to come to Lowell, little town. In fact, it was October 11th, so the trees were just changing. It was beautiful, all these rivers. I love rivers. 17 years ago, moved here. We found a house, 121 Parnell Ave, and we went in, and it was, you know, a dumpster fire when we went in. So we ripped out all the carpet and repainted the walls, and it was, we made it, that house a home. And we got in for some reason, weeks had gone by, and it felt like this place is not, something's wrong here. I've lived in a house with my family. I know what it is to come home and feel shalom and peace. And I feel like there's oppression here, like depression here. I, I don't know what's going on. I talked to my neighbor from across the street, and he's like, man, so glad to have you in there. Woo, that, that house. So glad to have a good family. I'm like, What's, what are you talking about? Like, oh, man, that house has always been kind of screwy. In fact, every year they'd have this thing, this party, and people would park down the rows, and they'd put up these poles and tarps to, to sort of guard the house in that one acre of property, and people would come in dressed in Renaissance gear like witches and wenches and all these people, and they'd have role-playing there on your property and in the house, and, and people would be swapping partners and every. 
I'm like, I, our, our realtor did not tell us about that. <laughs> but it, uh, my, my stomach got so sick, I felt like I could throw up. And I'm, you might think I'm crazy, but I just like, it was, it was don't pass go, don't collect $200, don't do anything until you pray over this property. And I went around the perimeter of our property and prayed, and I remember I prayed Psalm 51, cleanse us with hyssop that we may be healed, wash us that we may be whiter than snow. Let joy and happiness return again, let the bones that you have broken be healed and rejoice. Create in this place a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit on this property and in my heart. I just started praying. And then I got done with the property. I'm like, it's still here. I went around to every tree. I'm laying on soft maples and ash trees and my bushes and shrubs. Anything that they had picked up on, anything that had happened on this soil, I just started praying over the ground. And then I went around the house, the foundation of the house, and I prayed that verse around the, the house, asking the enemy in the darkness to flee. And then I went in every room and put my hand on every wall. And it took hours and hours and hours of travail and I, I remember saying, whatever these walls have witnessed, Lord, cleanse their memory and make this whole. And all of a sudden, whew, gone. And it isn't like I did it once and never had to do it again. There are times I felt fear coming in and attacking our daughters and attack was happening in all kinds. I just would do it again and again and again. But I'm telling you here, it's real. And your realtor doesn't always see what's real, even though real is in the name. (laughs) I'm alarmed that Mary's reality was being handled by religion up to this point in biblical history as something to quarantine in a distant graveyard like the graveyard of Gadara, or be rashly labeled by society as unconfessed sin or avoided as ceremonial uncleanliness. But Jesus, when he came on the scene, called the demons to come out of hiding, told them to leave, confronted them by the name of Jesus, and overthrew them by the power of his name. He casted these diabolical creatures out of people and set the captives free. And then he taught his disciples to do the same for all those afflicted with demonic spiritual activity. Couple questions for you. What circumstances are you experiencing that might be explained to you quite differently if Jesus showed up and spoke up? What if something has been going on for a long time and it takes Jesus' presence coming on the scene to surface the real problem and offer a real solution? What is possessing you or oppressing you that only Jesus can call out and chase away? What have you labeled as human struggle that is really spiritual attack? That's what we're talking about today. We're lifting the veil on this baby. You'll never know your need for Jesus' salvation and rescuing if you don't acknowledge your problem with sin and with Satan and his evil spirits. Only Jesus can save you and help you and calm you and heal you and free you. I say this sometimes, it's only Jesus who frees us. Say that with me. It's only Jesus who frees us. One more time. It's only Jesus who frees us. It's you, Jesus. Mary's freed from seven demons. I can't imagine just having one, but seven at once. Vexing you, oppressing you, paralyzing you, possessing you. And it made me think about the seven deadly sins marked out in church history that were made popular by Thomas Aquinas. And wondering what it would be like if you were attacked by all seven of these at one at once and then freed by all seven at once by Jesus. Do you know what the seven deadly sins are? Pride. I'm right and I'm better. A, envy, comparison, and jealousy. Is that bewitching you lately? Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Lust sensual and sexual appetites. What if it's, yes, yours, but there's a pile-on effect with what's happening in the spiritual realm, oppressing you and coming after you? Gluttony, comfort, pleasure, security. Greed, money, possessions, and power that holds you hostage, has a stranglehold and a stronghold in your life. Laziness is one of them. It's cowardice. 
and it's procrastination. It's like, what, if, what in the spiritual realm could come into your life and pile on these, these areas that we have a default to go into in our own human you know, weakness that he comes in and he attacks us on those fronts? What if Jesus freed us today from that? I went to a spiritual warfare conference in the late 90s, and I remember this prayer of deliverance from the demonic, and I'll pray at different times for myself, the church, people I love. And if you want this after, you can uh, email me or message me, and I can send it to you. It goes like this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of his blood and the Holy Spirit, I lift to the Lord myself, my family, home, neighborhood, church, workplace, city, state, nation, and the world, and each person and area for whom I'm praying. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over all of us for our protection. By the authority of the word of God, it is written, whatsoever is bound on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. I bind Satan and all the powers and forces of darkness under his direction. I bind any demonic assignments set against any of the people and areas I'm lifting up to you, Lord. I bind all interaction, interplay, or communication of spirits as it may affect any of the people or areas for which I'm praying. And I command in the name of Jesus Christ that all these satanic and demonic forces go to the feet of Jesus. I call forth and loose the Holy Spirit of God and the holy angels to come and cleanse every place where Satan had a foothold in the lives and situations of any of these people or areas and to fill each cleansed area with the life and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke and break any curses, demonic activity, and any other evil thing that has been sent against me or passed on through the generations to me or to any of the people or areas for whom I'm praying. And I claim the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, over all that I have lifted to you, Lord, for our protection. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. This, this is... Maybe to some, you're like, man, that's over the top. Well, I'd rather die and find out I was a little over the top than shooting too low. The freedom this kind of prayer, power prayer affords has deep and profound impacts on our lives and those we love. This woman was freed from her demons, and as you can imagine, it impacted her life in a crazy way. Can you imagine being afflicted that way and all of a sudden, all at once, in one encounter with Jesus, you're freed from these unspeakable vexations? What would that do to you? What effect would that have in your life? There's, there's a verse, because she's identified, she's actually the only person who had an exorcism of demons who was identified by name in the Bible. Everyone else, it's sort of generic or general. We don't know who they are. They never were named, but this woman was named. And so we know in this passage, that this is Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. This is the effect that Christ had on her life. And I believe this was her moment of salvation. So I think Christ can free you from demons and you not actually get saved. He, sometimes he'll help you before he heals you. That's what I'm saying. Your whole life, he might help you. He loves you. You are loved by God even if you don't believe in God and he wants to free you from things and he will help you but eventually as you get to know him, you'll come to him for salvation and he will heal you and free you through and through. Luke chapter seven, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, this Mary Magdalene, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Many believe this is a year's wages of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, just coming right down his shins and his calf and his ankles, right to his feet. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and this is what a religious spirit does. If this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Another way of saying is, why did she come to church today? 
It was great until she got here. And Jesus answered him, I love this. Simon, I have something to tell you, bro. You ever feel like you have a vision of what's going on? And if Jesus could be there, he'd just put his hand on your shoulder and be like, bro. No. No. Now, I, I have something to tell you. You've spoken your mind. Now, let me speak mine. And he's like, oh, yes, Lord, tell me, teacher. I'm all ears, right? Well, he's like, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both, which is what Jesus does. Amen. No matter how good or bad you've been, he forgives all sins. Now, which of them do you think will love him more, though? And Simon replied, I suppose the one that had a bigger debt forgiven. Well, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, let me drop some theology on you. Then he turned toward the woman as he said to Simon. See this? I'm pointing to her. Do you see this woman? I mean, do you see her? No one's ever seen her. Her name's Mary. She's a little girl from Magdala. Do you see her? I came into your house. You didn't give me even any water for my feet. She swept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even give me a kiss of greeting, which is what we do in the Middle East. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. It's actually getting awkward, right? (laughs) You didn't pour oil on my head as a way to bless me, but she's poured all her perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown or evidenced. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. I want to be a church that loves a lot, not a little. Because we understand the gravity of the forgiveness of God in our lives. If you don't understand how much God's forgiven you, you will love a little bit. The demonstration or how demonstrative you are with your faith completely correlates and parallels the depth that you understand the ridiculous forgiveness and scandalous grace of God in your life. I want people when they come to this church to say, holy cow, they love a lot. And all of us say the reason we love a lot is because we've been forgiven much. How could we not? We owe him a debt of gratitude. Uh, Look at this evidence of really meeting Jesus according to Mary's story as you find where Jesus is and you begin pursuing him wherever you see him. She knew where he was. She broke into the house and just started pouring worship on him. Your sinful life actually will begin to hunger for Jesus' presence. It isn't like, I hate being around Jesus because he's always pointing out what's wrong with me. That's not what Jesus does. He wants to find out what's wrong with you, and then he wants to heal you. And if he ever points out and offends you with something, you're like, I don't like what Jesus did today. It's always telling you what's wrong with you in order to make you right. Not to rip you off, not to jip you, not to make it so you don't have a fun life. He's always wanting the greatest quality of life for you because he made you and he knows when you're chasing things, lesser lovers, creating heavens that will become your hell on earth. And he will, he's called the divine thwarter. He will thwart anybody creating heavens apart from him that will become their hell. He is worth more than anything to you. That's how you'll know that you really met the real Jesus. Just alabaster jar, perfume, I don't care if it bleeds into the ground, it's for the sake and the love of you, Jesus. You live with a sense of profound humility. You'll know you've met Jesus because you are transformed into humility. You are down at his feet, on his knees. You do not feel worthy because you just know who you are and what you've done. And he lifts you up and sees worth in you. You live also a life of pronounced gratitude. You are the most thankful person in the room everywhere you go. Your affection for Jesus ruins the religious curve. I love that. When you meet somebody that really meets Jesus all of a sudden, you're like, you make me uncomfortable 
This whole getting on the ground and weeping and, and perfume and kissing his feet. Yeah. That's weird. We just wanted to come and hear teaching today, okay? No, people that are affected by God. Because he's the great cause that creates the great effect. And then your worship literally can't be stopped. It couldn't stop this woman from kissing his feet. And your love is a direct response to Jesus' forgiveness, like I said before. I, one of the things in this world that I cannot stand is cancel culture. And it's not because, you know, the Republicans don't like it or the Democrats don't like it. It's just, it has nothing to do with the gospel. That your worst sin in your life, your biggest mistake in your life, in this culture, even if they go back into your past retroactively and find it, you're canceled and your worst mistake becomes your profile picture for the rest of your life. Not in Jesus' kingdom. He's come to forgive you for whatever you've done to change your profile picture. And you, I don't care how you identify yourself. That's a big deal in our world. I identify as, it doesn't matter what you identify as. Christ identifies you. He's the one who names you. He's the one who declares what reality is. We submit to him. So when he comes, he's like, I don't care if you feel worthless. I feel like you're worthwhile. I don't care if no one trusts you. In Christ, through my love, I will restore a trustworthy heart, a person of integrity. Out of the, the, the mire and the muck, I will lift you up and put you on a rock. I will bust apart cancel culture and bring forgiveness, scandalous grace, ridiculous forgiveness. And I just feel today, coming off this message, that people need to get saved for real. Or as Snoop Dogg says, for rizzle. That didn't land real well today. It's too early in the morning for Snoop Dogg, the great theologian. I just... And I've been thinking a lot about like people that get saved but never convert or get saved and there's no effect after the cause. And I'm like, then what happened? Do you not understand forgiveness? Because you love so little. Or you don't love at all. Hasn't this intoxicated you at all? Don't you want this for other people? Why is it? Well, it's sort of private. It's my own private. No, no, no. This goes public, man. When you know Jesus, you can't like hide this. This is my own little personal relationship with God. No, it becomes demonstrative to the world around you. Not cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but I'm telling you, it's a little bit strange when a person comes to life because we don't interact on this planet with many people that are more than dead men walking. So when a person comes to life, you see vibrant colors you've never seen. You see people completely differently. It completely alters reality because now you're living in the ultimate reality. So are you saved? Have you invited him in? Like, if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't need a savior. And whatever that salvation is, it's fraudulent at best. Be like, God, I need you. I want you. I want you like this woman wanted you. Cleanse me from all evil spirits, either oppressing me or possessing me or demonizing me. And God, then bring me help, but bring me to healing and freedom and salvation, ultimately, God, so you inhabit the heart you just cleared space in. So I want us to pray together. I've written out a prayer of salvation. And I want us to all say this out loud together. Some of you are gonna be actually saying this for the first time or for the first time and really know what you're saying and meaning it. That's a big deal. Why don't you say this with me? Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins to give me new life, yeah. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, you alone. Fill me with the presence of your Holy Spirit and cast out any spirits other than yours, Lord. Thank you for pursuing me and loving me my whole life. I'm yours, Lord. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some in this room who prayed that for the first time or for the first time you meant it in your heart of hearts. And in this church, we don't bow our head and close our eyes because if you're going to come to Jesus privately, you're probably going to start living a private Christian life. 
We just want to be like, I did that here, and I don't care who knows about it. So if you've done that here, just quite simply raise your hand so we can celebrate that. Just lift it up nice and high. I see it. Yep. Anybody over here? Right here? Right here? Right here? There? Awesome. Yes. More stolen away from the kingdom of darkness. I love it. I hate Satan with every fiber of my being, and I love to steal from his camp and bring him over to the Jesus camp. I love it. It's why I live, I breathe, I have my being. <laughs> Some of you here, you can feel your heart pounding. You're like, I need prayer. I need prayer because I don't know how to pray. I need prayer for my family. I need prayer for my kids. I need prayer for my own heart. I need prayer for my job. I need prayer for my spirit. We have a prayer team that's up here, and it's not a joke. It's not just like, oh, you know. They're, they're up here doing war for people's hearts and souls. And I'm just going to invite them to come up now. I'm going to pray and dismiss everyone. But if you need prayer, this is the team, the safety and security team of the unseen realm. And they want you to be set free through the name of Jesus Christ. And if it's like, well, that's out of my comfort zone. Good. Good. All of us need to get out of our comfort zones in order to experience comfort. Real comfort that's given by God. So God, today as we leave this place, man, we want to live that transformed redeemed Mary Magdalene life. We don't want just you to do something in our life week after week, day after day, and never live it back to you and give it back to you. So we pay forward everything you've done in our life to the world you so love that you gave your only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Life in the eternal, but life supernal now. Send us out with your power on mission for you this week, God. May everything we see be with spiritual eyes. As Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better and that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Open our eyes, Lord. Bring your revelation for your glory and for the good of the world around us. We pray this. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.